Hello, readers. Welcome to 20 Questions with Your Favorite Author, where we ask authors important questions like, why would you agree to be on this podcast? <laughs> I'm Kelly Lynn Colby, Editorial Director at Curse Dragonship Publishing. Our guest tonight is D.H. Dunn. D.H. Dunn writes fantasy and adventure fiction for readers who enjoy empathy-driven heroes, deep characters, and imaginative worlds. He is the author of nine published novels, including the Fractured Everest series. A former U.S. Navy sailor, he now wanders the coasts and forests of Maine, looking for hope and adventure wherever he can find it. If he's not your favorite now, he will be after. Welcome, Dave. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good to see you. Thank you for agreeing to be on today. Oh, I'm, I'm super excited. Nice, nice. So how's the weather treating you in Maine? Well, it, it's eight degrees out, so... Oh. So that should answer your question. And they were talking about maybe a foot of snow at one point later this week, but now it's been downgraded significantly. I think it's going to be more like four, six inches. Holy moly. Um, of course, I guess I mean, you have to take that, huh? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's why we're here. That's, right. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, they, they say that in uh, in Maine, there's, there's um, three seasons. There's winter. Uh, <laughs> Also winter and August. And August? August, yeah. Oh, I like that. That's nice. See, Houston, it's the opposite. It's all heat things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I understand extremes for sure. Yeah. I'll tell you, though, for like our one week where it gets down to freezing, I'm like, that's not fair. I don't put up with the 120, so I also have to put up with the freezing. It's just, it's just not fair. I really didn't think that it ever got to freezing in Texas. But, you know, we, we generally have a week in August where we'll see close to 100 you know, a day or two. So maybe that's like the, the trade-off. That's the fair trade. So it's just yeah. tormenting all of us. Yeah. I guess that's fair. Yep. Hey, um, Vicki says she likes the uh, Christmas tree in the background. Oh, thank you. Very festive. Yeah. yeah. It's, it makes the room smell very Christmassy too. So. Right. Oh, is it a real tree? I like real It trees. is real. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. I have to have a real tree. I need that smell. Yeah. Even if it's a little crooked. It's funny as we try to make it straight every year. And I'm like, no, no, look, if I wanted straight and perfect, I'd buy a fake one. This is okay. Right, right. So, now, I know I'm not supposed to be asking questions, and yet uh -oh. I find myself wondering, how hard is it to get a Christmas tree in Houston? Um, pretty easy, because they just chop them and send them down here. From where? Up north? Is that Do they have a tree in Texas? Uh, we have a, well, we've got a blue spruce. That's what we just okay, bought. And okay. they don't grow here. <laughs> It's, it's way too hot. They would melt. <laughs> I would think so, yeah. But it's beautiful. It's the most beautiful shade of blue. So that's what we have this year. That's and nice. There are evergreens that grow here, but not Christmas tree kind of evergreens. There's mm -hmm. even a place where you could chop down your own tree, but I don't. I can't even tell you what species they are right now. I wish I should have remembered, but they don't look like Christmas trees to me. They're shaped like Christmas trees. Sure. They're, they're, they're not what I consider a Christmas tree. Pro probably some kind of cacti. Yeah. <laughs> Now, that could be fun. I mean, let's face it, the Christmas tree gets so dry at the end, it hurts anyways. I mean, we could sure, just yeah. start right off with that. That's definitely true. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's get to it, even though I could just talk to you all night. and we could just Sure, absolutely. Um, I'm ready. Hit me. All right, let's see. Where do you get your ideas? Okay, so I have watched four previous episodes of this podcast. <laughs> I am a loyal viewer, so <laughs> I did know this one was coming. So yep. I, I have some time to think about it. And um, a couple weeks ago, uh, your guest, uh, I want to say Meg, mm -hmm. the one who wrote the beautiful Stephen King book, 
Yeah, uh, Meg. <laughs> um, fascinating subject, uh, to the science of Stephen King. How cool is that? Um, yeah. She talked about how it starts with a what if. You know, it starts with a question. And I thought about that a lot. I think that's true. I think that it does start with what if. And like in my case, my, my big series is, you know, what if in 1950 they summited Everest and when they got to the top, they found a door. Like that, that's basically the initial where the idea comes from. But I feel like then it's more about, at least for me, it's about the whys and the who's and, you know, that's where the story comes from. Uh, the idea might start with a what if, but the novel comes from, you know, well, why is there a door there and where does it lead and who put it there? And more importantly, who found it and why would they go through it? What, what, would, what would be going on in their lives that would put these particular people in this unlikely place and then have them make that unlikely decision? And the story for me, just in, in anything, not just in the Everest, but in all of that, it always comes out of the character choices and, and those usually come from why. So where do you get your ideas? I mean, I think it's, it starts with just having kind of a weird brain and then you just keep asking questions about things until, you know, you get enough good answers that there's a story there. That's fantastic. That's a great answer. Asking questions. That Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. All right. So rumor has it you were in the Navy. Will you tell us that a fun story from those days? Um, a fun story from the Navy. Well, I was in for 10 years. Nice. But I was kind of, I was kind of in two navies because there's the first four years of my um, first four years I was on a ship. Mm -hmm. And uh, so maybe the first fun story I could tell you, because the whole hour could be Navy stories. I mean, Navy stories is a thing. Um, <laughs> the first when I was in, uh, so I did my boot camp thing, and then I did A school, and A school uh -huh. is where you get like, your technical training. I was a, a radio man. My husband and I were ETs, so yep, I get it. Oh, okay, so we totally, we totally know what we're talking about. Awesome. So in <laughs> fact, I'll go back a bit more, and I'll say that when I was talking to my recruiter, mm -hmm. not even in the Navy yet, mm -hmm. I'm you know, a dumb 17, 16-year-old kid. And they're asking me, you know, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to do in the Navy? You know, your ASPAB scores are this and that, and you can be in this rating or that rating. What do you want to do when you get out of the Navy? And at the time, what I really wanted to do was work in radio. I wanted to either be uh, behind, like an engineer behind the scenes or an on, on, on the air person, something like that. So they and, talk you into radio, man. Like that's so they're like radio. Well, what could be more like radio than radio man, which has... <laughs> Nothing to do with radio at all. So, but I didn't really realize that 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 I had been had until I got to school. And I'm like, well, what's all this typing? Why am I typing? Where's the microphone? <laughs> what is this circuits radio wave propagation? Why do I need to know this? So, when I finished A school, I got my orders, and I remember asking for. I mean, I was in the Navy. I enlisted. So, I mean, I want to do the Navy. I want to do the Navy that I saw, you know, in the movies. This is 1987. So, you know, Top Gun and, and you know, all. and so I wanted, I put in, you know, you put your dream sheet, you put in what you want. And I put in aircraft carrier, submarine, guided missile cruiser. And I got my orders and, and I'm like, well, what is this? What is LPD? What is that? That doesn't. So I went and looked and they had like this big wall of all the ships. And I found the picture of my ship and it's like, you know, there's, there's, there's a subreddit called watch people die inside. And that was me. It was like, <laughs> oh no. 
it's just a big box. Like it's just a big box that floats on the water and goes about 10 knots and it doesn't do anything cool. You will never see an LPD on a commercial for anything. But I, I did my first four years. Tell the audience what an LPD is. An LPD stands for a landing platform dock. And it's basically an amphibious ship that sinks the lower half of itself. And then little, little marine hovercraft shoot out the back. And so the whole idea of the ship is to carry about a thousand Marines back really slowly up to a beach that's shelling back at you, drop these Marines off and then limp slowly away. And, and this was our job. And, uh, but I ended up, you know, like I said, there were two navies that I was in. That was like the real Navy in a way, because that was four years. And that was me going from, you know, 17 to 22. If I did my math right now, 17 to 21. Um, <laughs> I was a radioman. Math is involved. Um, <laughs> so that was like my college years. And, you know, I really kind of, you know, had that kind of growing up experience at that point and definitely saw the world also got married, had a kid, like all of these big life moments inside that four years. Uh, then the other part of the Navy is all shore duty. One of it, one of those stations was in Maine and then one of them was uh, overseas in Sicily. Um, and, you know, like I said, the whole hour could be Navy stories, but um, I, I definitely remember being just, flabbergasted at my duty uh, my duty assignment and you know, getting this this weird fat flat ship and trying to understand how this was going to be cool you're like this is not top gun at all no <laughs> that's awesome. no, just for not. the record for the record we come from a navy family my mom and dad mm -hmm. were both recruiters in the navy too they oh, were other wow. things as well right you're not just a recruiter but they they served their their time as recruiters and my mom says she never lied she just didn't tell them everything. <laughs> well, I, in the end, I was very glad to end up in that rating. I really enjoyed that work. Uh, radio men and, and radio men and ETs work, work closely together. And I, I enjoyed working with ETs a lot. And, and I don't think there's radio men anymore. I think they got rid of them. Radio men, gone. torpedo men, a whole bunch of them. And they put them all under yep. ET. Yep. Yep. They're gone. They became some kind of data, some the data processors, I think for a while. And now it's just completely gone. But it's such a broad uh, career path. I mean, there's uh, particularly back then. I don't know what it does now, but back then, and I got to see it. Uh, when I came in, it was all teletypes and tapes. And when I went out, we were doing TCIP and internet. And, you know, so I watched that transition happen. And that, that was very cool. And it certainly prepared me. I got out of the Navy in 97. And, you know, I had done a whole bunch of internet work at my last duty station. And 97 was a good time to know anything about the internet. It was pretty easy to get a job. And uh, that, you know, got me into the next phase of my life. That's pretty awesome. So it worked out. You served your country and still Absolutely. got something out of it. Yeah. I'm super proud of my Navy time. It's awesome. If you meet me, I will mention that I was in the Navy probably inside the first five minutes. I'll mention writing, Maine, and Navy probably all inside all that. All in the first. same sentence. <laughs> writing. It depends on who I'm talking to. I'm getting better about that. Well, you've got some amazing stuff. You really need to share. You're a writer. Hey, Zepa oh. wants to know if you became a ham radio operator. I didn't. Um, I've thought about it occasionally. I did not. Um, I think the thing that the Navy led me to do was to become a uh, sysop for uh, BBS 
in the very brief, maybe four or five year period where BBSs were a thing, kind of the, the internet before the internet. I mean, the internet was there, but nobody was using it. Uh, but the Navy led me to do that. And I always thought that was a little bit like ham radio, mm-hmm. but not, not really. Hmm. Well, it's time to move up. We both have our licenses. Come on now. Yeah. If you're going to wave that geek card, have all the geek cards, right? I certainly should. Everything I did in the Navy leans towards being a ham radio operator. Mm-hmm. Uh, Makes sense. Yeah. So now let's talk about your writing. Um, in your Fractured Everest series, which is a great name, by the way, you, you have multiple worlds all connected via portals with characters either falling through them or other creatures falling out of them. Like, mm-hmm. So I guess we talked a little bit about that, but how does that magic work? Well, um, the idea behind uh, the, the uh, premise is that um, there are multiple dimensions, if you will. There are alternate Earths. And um, there's kind of a, a think of them as like a wheel and every earth is a, is a spoke on that wheel. And then the center of that wheel is Everest. And so Everest is kind of the focal point that connects them all. And so inside Everest is all of these portals that then lead to all these other worlds that have an Everest. But other than that, they are completely different. And it might, that's why, you know, you have like seas of Everest where, yeah, on that in that book, they go to a world where Everest is is almost tropical, and there's like an island around it, and there's everything that's going on there, and then so on and on like that. Um, how does the magic work? I mean, it works, you know. Uh, no, there's that, so. <laughs> there's there's a lot in there about, uh, in fact, how the portals work. It's a fairly key, key plot point uh, because you can use them incorrectly, and then that that has very bad consequences when you don't. Well, use then them. don't tell us. You're good. But the wheel is good because I was trying because I just began it. Right. So I couldn't see mm-hmm. the big picture. So that's very interesting. I love that kind of thing. Yeah. It's very cool. Um, Vicky you, uh, wants to know. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say the, the Fractured Everest uh, series name is fantastic. I did not come up with that. That's uh, a mutual friend, uh, uh, Maya Cleave. Oh, she's awesome. I adore yeah. her. That was her suggestion. Well, she did great because that's a great name. Yeah. Um, so Vicky wants to know, do you write more in the winter or in the summer? Always. <laughs> there's no uh, there's no time when I'm not writing. Um, and, you know, that's I spent probably all of last year just piling up as much material as I could. And that so that allowed me this year to release while writing more. Um, whereas last year, most of last year, 2019, I didn't really release anything. Um, so now I write, you know, I write every day. I write, you know, that's when you're indie, a lot of what you do when you're indie is about uh, momentum and, you know, keeping not just about algorithms and stuff. There is an Amazon algorithm that you have to worry about when you release a book. Amazon tends to promote that book much more strongly in the first 30 days. Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, if you had three finished books, you're better off releasing them, maybe release one, wait a couple of weeks, release another, wait a couple of weeks. That way you're constantly pushing that cliff out. But in general, um, it's just the more books you have out, the uh, more traction you start to gain. I've definitely seen that over the past couple months now that I finally have a larger number of books out. When I had three, it was very hard to get really any kind of traction, any kind of notice. Now that I have uh, more that I can point people at and just more books that you can promote, uh, you can, you know, if you have like I've got a standalone, uh, The Fifth Interdictor. Mm-hmm. And that's valuable to me because I can then say, okay, I have these books, but I also have this. And so if you're not interested in this, you might be interested over here. And 
It's another way to sample it. Um, it's a weird answer to do you write in the summer or winter, I'm realizing. No, it's the, answer the answer is always because yeah. I do this for a living. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there is none. So yeah, no, it's a good answer. All right, I have a very serious question. Are you ready? I'm ready. What color are your favorite pair of shoes? Well, <laughs> I don't have many. Uh, my favorite pair of shoes are brown, which is not very exciting. They are brown sneakers. Well, they're shoes. It's okay. I think brown sneakers is a little unusual. They're very nice. Um, I'm struggling to come up with what brand they are. <laughs> they're comfortable. They're new Balance. I think they've got an N on them. I think that means they're New Balance. Um, but they're brown. Uh, they're very comfortable. I like them. <laughs> we all need that pair of shoes that we wear. We're running out the house to do something. They're the ones we go to first. Yes. Yes. Let's see. Here's a fun one. If you could spend a weekend with one of your characters, who would it be and where would you go? <sighs> well, I mean, it would have to be Nima, especially now. Um, Nima's the main character of the, of the series. and I she... fell in love with her right away, by the way. Good job. Thank you. So so did I. Um, it's <laughs> funny because a lot of the other characters in, in, the, in that book, I can remember the process by which I built them. Mm -hmm. But Nima was just kind of there. And I really feel more like I found her than I than I created her. Um, she's a very positive, very upbeat, very impulse-driven character. She's and determined, and very determined. Mm -hmm. She's very, uh, but she's a lot of fun, and she doesn't have a lot of boundaries. I think she would exhaust me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to take her through Maine and show her Maine, and probably take her to Katahdin, which is the tallest mountain in Maine. And I would watch her hike it. I'm not probably going to be able to do that, but um, <laughs> it would be it would be. I mean, I'd I'd love to see Drew too. Drew's a Navy guy, and you know it would be fun to swap Navy stories with him. He's if if Nima's the star, he's kind of the co-star. He's that one A. Um, but yeah, I, I would say I would love to spend time with Nima and have her cheer me up, especially. 2020, you can use as much Nima as you can get in uh, this kind of year. That means everyone should get Fractured Everest. Yes. And actually, I just saw that the the um, box set. I just bought the entire box set. I'm like, dude, there's all of them. How can I resist? So. Yeah, the, the box set just released as I uh, was able to put out the seventh book earlier this month. So put out the box set. And uh, right now it is on its launch sale. So it's $6.99 for seven books. That's, I think it's three quarters of a million words. It's definitely seven books. Um, yeah, it's seven been like 24 books. hours to read it on my Kindle. I'm like, yes. Nice. Awesome. So 24, might've been 43. I don't know. It was a lot of hours and I was very excited. Wow. So, um, oh, they give you, uh, so Kindle gives you an estimate of how long it's going to take to read it. Mm -hmm. And it's good because you know what? It does my estimate. So there's an <laughs> estimate how long it takes to read, but my Kindle has learned how long it takes me to read and it gives me right, right. my estimate. It's That's pretty awesome. Cool. That's awesome. I'm going to say it's a little off, though, because sometimes I fall asleep holding my book, so that throws it <laughs> off. <laughs> Otherwise, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. If you could have your dream car, what would be parked in your garage? <laughs> well, I kind of already have my dream car. Uh, anyone who knows me well knows that I love the Honda Ridgeline. And uh, I had... Uh, a Ridgeline when it first came out, there was like a first first version of it. 
Uh-huh. And uh, I had that many years ago, and I, tra- I loved it, loved it. It was the Ridgie, and it was part of the family. And um, I traded it in. I had this flirtation with Subaru for a while because basically 50% of the cars in Maine are Subarus because they're all-wheel drive. Mm-hmm. What, if it isn't a truck, it's a Subaru up here. So um, you're a pebble with your Honda Ridgeback, huh? But, I mean, I've got the Ridgeline, which is a truck. So, um, so oh, ultimately, so I, went, I went back to the Ridgeline, and mm-hmm. in the, they, they did a remodel recently, which is great. And uh, so I have never thought I would do this, but I have a vanity plate that says Ridgie right on it, because that's how much you love the Ridge line. <laughs> so, uh, when I was a kid, I really wanted a Volkswagen thing, because I thought they were really ugly, and for some reason, I felt like it would be awesome to have a really ugly car. Hey, watch it. We have all Volkswagens. <laughs> do you have a thing, though? I do, I do love Volkswagens, like, a lot, yeah, and I yeah. don't know why. And then, like, the next car, I was like, ooh, I really like that Audi. And my son was like, Mom, it's made by Volkswagen. I'm like, see? I have a thing. I just obviously <laughs> like them. <laughs> yeah, you know, even, even when you don't know, you know. I didn't even know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, awesome. Um, see, I didn't even know the – I didn't even know it was a truck. Do you see how much cars it I don't So, I figured I need to start asking other questions. So, good answer. Um, let's see. Oh, the beginnings of your novels are action packed. Like That's I started true. three of them and I was like, holy moly. So we've got like a young tour guy chasing a Yeti on a snow covered mountain on one. Mm-hmm. We've got an assassin and the protector, uh, facing off in another mm-hmm. one. So what makes you choose this kind of start? <sighs> Stupidity. Really. <laughs> uh, Why do you say that? Being really dumb. I remember, uh, we are both, we are both uh, attendees of the superstars conference and uh-huh. <laughs> highly, highly recommend superstars conference. Uh, go tribe and uh, I took a, a class with Eric Flint wonderful and incredibly kind nice man very crusty but in a kind way right. kind of like a Dr. McCoy kind of deal uh, can, can that's actually a perfect the description good job exactly mm-hmm. uh, if, if Dr. McCoy wore a bowler hat all the time that would be Eric Flint and he did a class on openings and we had to submit our openings to him mm-hmm. and he talked a lot about how you can't open with action. And of course I had. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he said the danger with opening with action is you're asking the readers to ride along with someone they don't know yet. So they don't care. So, you know, and, and basically he said, you know, this is a terrible idea. And so afterwards I, I asked him, I said, well, you read, you know, what I, what I put here. And he said, well, it's okay. Cause you did it right. So whatever weird thing is in my brain, I guess I know how to sneak enough character information in early. Um, uh, I do spend a lot of time on that first page. I probably rewrite my first two pages more than the rest of the book. Like I spend a lot of time. I'll do it. I'll do it several times when I start. And then when I'm in revisions, I'll come back and I'll come back and I'll come back. And it's partially because I want it to flow good. But a lot of it is because I want to make sure that I get those character notes in that you understand motivation and, and so that it's there. But I just I like opening on action. I just think it's interesting. And, and I write adventure and I think you need to lead with this is what you're getting. You know, and uh, it, in fact, I think 
my drawback in some of the earlier stuff I wrote was that I didn't stay with that enough. I would quickly, I would have an action scene and then now let's have six people sit around and talk. That's not really, really what I want to do. So I don't have as much of that now, but <laughs> I, 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 very much, I very much like opening on action and I know it's a mistake, uh, but you know, I, I've, I've given myself that one out. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm going to disagree. It's not a mistake, at least not the way you do it. Cause it's fantastic. Well, so. thank you. I'm never going to get any more writing done because I keep doing these interviews and I'm reading all these books. Like, I don't want to stop reading all these books. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. If you want a million dollars, so just a million, right? Not, not a billion, just a million. What all would right. you do with it? <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of not necessarily exciting for the podcast answers about things that I would do for family members and things that I would, you know, take care of various education debts and and you know um i'm not sure that's the answer you would be looking for but i think uh i would i would be very pragmatic with it say if i ask if you would buy a new ridge line <laughs> I, I probably would uh i i probably would buy a new ridge line or multiple ridge lines but not for me i want to convert my kids into ridge line owners and i figure if I bought them the truck, they would they would use it. So it's free, right? It's like here you go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so not not a very not a very exciting answer to that question. I, I probably would, would hold some of it for the writing business as well. Yes. No. I mean, a million dollars isn't exciting. It really shows what's important. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. You know, with a billion dollars, we can go crazy. You know. Yeah. With a billion dollars, then you're in the gold-plated <laughs> helicopter, you know, territory. But. Exactly. Yeah. Buy that aircraft carrier you wanted. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, who has inspired you along the way? Well, um, I mean, there's so many. You know, uh, when I started seriously writing, one of the first people that I interacted with who was in, in the industry, if you will, was uh, Jean Cavellos, who runs the uh, Odyssey Writing Workshop. Um, she's also a novelist, and she used to work at NASA, and, and she's an amazing person. Where um, is that? That's the Odyssey Writing Workshop is in New Hampshire. It's basically the other, it's the clarion nobody talks about. Like, East it's Coast not clarion. as well known as clarion. Um, but uh, it's it's like a it's uh, I think it's two months uh, retreat and uh, I I lived in New Hampshire at the time which is where they have it and I knew I would never go to it because I could never give up two months of my life to do that but I was very interested in it and I went to some I went to a convention she was at and I started talking to her and she was super nice and and that kind of led me on this string of being really lucky in talking to people who were very nice. And I took some classes from Mary Robinette Cole, who was incredibly nice. And she's been very influential uh, on me. Uh, David Farland, again, incredibly influential. A lot, of the, a lot of the stuff that I do in these books mostly comes from David, stuff I learned from David Farland and stuff I learned from Jim Butcher. And Jim Butcher is another one that has given, anytime you read something I wrote and you go, wow, that's nuts. That's Jim Butcher. <laughs> because... I remember Jim, I asked Jim, when do you know if you've gone too far? And he said, I'd rather be bad than be boring. I will just go for it. And I, I try to, you he does know. does like to torture his characters. I, 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 
And and I, I have to say Kevin Anderson um, is probably the writer I pattern me after the most in terms of he's just a, such a kind, generous person who is always at your level, no matter who you are. He's there. He's never up. He's always he's always respectful to everybody he talks to. Uh, both he and Rebecca are just incredibly kind, incredibly generous, and uh, everyone like a colleague. Exactly, exactly correct. And really, I can't come up with anyone that I have interacted with in my like professional writing side that was a jerk. Like everyone has been nice. I've been very, very lucky. Um, so I'm inspired by all of them. You know. That's great. That's the way to do it, right? Collect writers. That's what I'm doing in this podcast. It's my secret mission to collect writers. <laughs> exactly. Um, let's see. So what do you hope readers get from your work? Um, That's the well, tough ones now. <laughs> yeah, I know. What, what happened to what's my favorite ice cream flavor? I was ready for that. <laughs> um, I don't think you ate ice cream in Maine. It's too cold. I, we do. We do what? eat ice cream in Maine. Yes, in fact, my, um, I, I, I will get back to ice cream. But okay. I, I would, we'll <laughs> so put it. We'll put it in an ice cream. And we'll come back to it. Okay. Um, I mean, it says on the tin adventure fantasy. So I'm hoping that if nothing else, people get an escape. They go, oh, that was fun, you know. And you know, for whatever whatever's weighing them down, whatever's giving them you know stress in their life that they had 15 minutes, an hour, two hours, whatever time they took to read the book. Or they go, oh, that was great. For those minutes, I was in another place with these other people having a good time. So certainly, if that's all anybody gets, then that's fantastic. That's totally what I'm trying to do. But there's a layer underneath. I mean, I definitely am sending a message uh, about uh, my beliefs on on empathy and my beliefs on, you know, I, I, I brand the empathy thing pretty strong because... I like it. Leave it in your bio. And, and I feel like, you know, I want to read about people that I want to root for. I want, I want, I read a lot of books where they're great books and they're wonderfully written and they have tons of fans. And I totally understand that, but they're not for me because I don't like the people I'm reading about. And I get that there's this kind of, well, but that's real. Yeah, but it says fantasy. I don't want real. Like, if I wanted real, I could just go out the door. So I'm hoping that people can can look at some of what I'm presenting, and maybe it makes them, you know, either appreciate something that they they already believe in, or makes them look at things from a different perspective. Um, and that's the same reason why most of my books have a lot of things that you haven't seen before, characters and roles that you, you haven't seen before, or lead characters that don't fit molds. That, you know, most versions, if you got 100 people in a room and gave them all under Everest, 99 of them would probably have Drew as the main character and Nima as the sidekick. And yeah. I think so. And because Drew's, he's the gritty military American veteran guy. And, and, you know, and then she's the Sherpa girl. And like, for me, I like them in the roles that they're in. And I like that a lot of what's in the books is um, a little bit different. I'm hope I'm hoping than what people have seen before. So that's well, a I like that you use the word escape. I don't Absolutely. know if you've seen the musical prom. Um, I just watched it on Netflix, the Netflix version. 
-hmm. And the principal, he says the line, he says when he's talking about going to the theater, because that's his escape. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Meryl Streep's character says that's, she says, well, okay, so it's a distraction. He goes, no, no, distraction is temporary. Escape is healing. No, and like yeah. it made me cry. That is a beautiful line because I've never heard it like that before. But that's exactly how I see it. That's a fantastic uh, way to look at it too, because there is a difference between a distraction and an escape. That's very true. Yeah, Absolutely. so I like the used escape. So that's beautiful. Absolutely. So, yeah, mom said she loved prom. I'm not surprised. We yeah. do too. Yeah, we're we're big musical fans around here. So, um, let's see. So we got the heavies. You want to ask about the ice cream then? Oh, sure. Well, I'll just say that. Okay, so... Um, I'm, just, I'm wondering about them eating ice cream in Maine. I am shocked by this. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, we do eat ice cream it's in cold. Maine. It's cold. So, uh, well, it's not cold all year, despite the jokes. It's not cold all year. <laughs> and uh, we Jerry's just... Ben from Vermont or something, right? So I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Ben and Jerry's is from, from Vermont, but I was going to bring up uh, Friendly's ice cream, which is... Um, I don't think it's a national chain, but it's definitely more widespread than it used to be. Okay. Uh, and there's there is a, a restaurant called Friendly's, and and that's my first real job was working at Friendly's. That's where I met my wife. And uh, Friendly's has a flavor of ice cream called Butter Crunch, which is this like maple flavored ice cream with uh, butterscotch crunchies in it. That's it's awesome. And you put some hot fudge on that, and that's that's great. It's fantastic. Hmm. That's and nice. most vendors have a strong preference for coffee ice cream, which is a, not a flavor you find a lot in other parts of the country. But most places in New England, if you go there, they will have coffee ice cream because coffee, coffee milk and coffee ice cream is kind of a big thing regionally, uh, but not nationally. Interesting. Well, if you remember Meg's interview, coffee's her favorite. So yes, I do remember if that. If I ever convinced convince her to go to Superstars, which I do, now you know what to bring her. I'm trying yeah. to get her to come. Well, she needs to go to Maine because Stephen King's already here, and coffee ice cream is here. So well, her and her co-writer Kelly Florence, they are they um, are setting. They do want to go to Maine, so they want to do sure. a whole tour. So I'll have to set y'all up when they go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, what hobbies do you enjoy to refill your creative cup? Um, certainly gaming is, is my big hobby, um, be a uh, video gaming, uh, or PC gaming, video gaming. I don't really f make a distinction between the two, whether, you know, then, and, and there's lots of games that exist on both platforms now anyway. Um, so that would be the big one. Uh, I spend, you know, probably an hour or two a day, maybe some days, much more than an hour or two, uh, doing that. Uh, and it is a good refill as well, as you say, because it's not just a stress relief, but it's also generally a good source of ideas. Oh, yeah, right? I love yeah. games. I can't play them yeah. because I don't stop. So, um, yeah, so I, which leads me to my next question. What video game are you currently addicted to? Well, <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, so what drug are you eternally hooked on? And then what's your <laughs> thing that you're dabbling with? What's on right side? now? Exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's always civilization and I'm always playing civilization and then something else. Nice. So um, over the past two weeks or so, I've been playing a lot of Dragon Age, uh, specifically Dragon Age Inquisition, which is uh, an RPG. I got um, stuck on that one and then had a temper tantrum and haven't gone back to it. <laughs> I mostly play strategy games and RPG games. Um, mm -hmm. I used to play shooters and things like that, but my reflexes are not where they would need to be. And I don't really like playing online that much anymore. 
So uh, I like games that have a lot of story to them. So Final Fantasies and Dragon Ages and Dragon Quests and games like that. I generally just mostly fantasy. Uh, and then I like a lot of games like, um, actually, another one I play a lot is a game called The Long Dark. And I haven't heard of that one. It's not as well known. Um, so it's a game set in the Canadian wilderness. And you you are someone who has crashed in the wilderness. Global catastrophe. Nothing works. No machines work. No electricity works. Nothing works. And there's no one but you. And you've got basically a meter for your cold, a meter for food, a meter for thirst, and a meter for stamina. And you literally just have to try to survive and see how long you can live wandering in the really, really uh, challenging weather. You'll find, you know, a town, you might find a car and you're like rummaging through the glove compartment like, oh my gosh, a candy bar. This candy bar is the greatest thing ever. Like, and, and it, the game will let you do a lot of really stupid things. So I do them. And- <laughs> You end up like, oh, a railroad trestle bridge. What happens if I try to jump? Oh, I couldn't make that jump. Okay, I'm dead now. Like, <laughs> but you end up with like a story. There's no story to the game except your story. But your story ends up being about how you stumbled across a deer and then was able, you know, you were almost frozen to death, but you managed to get to shelter and you tanned the skin and that gave you the mittens that you needed to be able to climb up this rope and like, it's it's its own thing. Uh, Long Dark, I highly recommend it. It's like 20 bucks, I think, 30 bucks maybe, and uh, really, really great. Uh, it's it's available on every platform I can think of. And it it's its own thing. Like, it's its its, it's, it's, its own story-generating world. It's really, really cool. That could be fun. I'm with you. I like the RPGs, too. Yeah, yeah. We played EverQuest for years, but again, like you said, who has time for that? I don't have time. Same, same, same. I wasted so much time trying to get my epic camping right? uh, camping for, I don't even remember what the hell it was I was camping. I had to camp something for my epic, and it was like days that, you know, I would like log on and like I would be there for hours just sitting looking at this thing, like, and yet I'm nostalgic for this complete waste of time. I know, I, I want to play a game too, stupid freak. Yeah. Like waiting for the boat to go from, I think it was Freeport to Quainos or something. And like the boat ride itself was like 20 minutes long. And if it's, and it's, nothing, <laughs> it's nothing but standing on a boat. And you know, it was great. It was awesome. But we loved it. It was fun. We did. Um, hey, where's your favorite place to write when you were allowed uh, to write anywhere else? Exactly where I am right at this moment. Um Sitting, sitting at this table is where I do most of, I do most of my writing here. And then behind me uh, is a standing desk and I do uh, a lot of revisions here and I do all the formatting. Cause you know, when uh, I, Indy, you got to do all the stuff, which if you're a small publisher, you're doing all that stuff too. Yes, um, so all my vellum and all that is all happening over there. And I do a lot of the marketing and stuff over there. Um, so, but in this room, this room is, is fantastic for writing. That's awesome. Give your own special place. Yes. I'm fortunate to have that. So what is your least favorite chore around the house? Hmm. Told you we were going to ask important questions. I mean, I like a lot of them. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't mind a lot of them, uh, because I like taking, like, I like doing the dishes because I like taking something that was messed up and making it nice, you know? 
like making it clean. Um, so let's see. Uh, I would say taking the dog out when it's eight degrees. Oh yes, like that would right happen. But I love her, so it's it's worth it. It's better than cleaning up a mess in the house and her thinking that's okay. So yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what is your idea of a vacation? <sighs> well, <laughs> it's a hard year to ask that question. It's the um, best year ever. It's like if I could be anywhere. Yeah, I mean, ironically, uh, if I could be anywhere, if everything was different and uh, everything was was the way it was and I didn't worry about all of the things that I would worry about. Mm -hmm. um, and I may never fully be able to not worry about those things again. I don't know. You know, right. um, I would go to Acadia where I've been a couple times before already. Uh, but Acadia National Park in northern Maine is, is one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. How boring. I'm in Maine. And where do I want to go on vacation? Maine. But um, I, I, I would I guess I would love to see Alaska. Um, you would think my answer would be Everest. Um, and I, I'm sure. I mean, I guess I would like to. The problem is I wouldn't mind if you could beam to Everest. But I don't really want to travel to Everest. I don't want to go through all of that uh, journey process just to get there. Whereas if I go to Acadia, I just get in the car. Like, that's not bad. Yeah, but Nepal would be nice. Nepal would, would be, be yeah. Nepal. Yes. Yeah. Like, if I could just, bam, I'm in Nepal, I would do uh -huh. that part. Oh, yeah, it's way over there. Look at it. Hi. Right. <laughs> I don't want to fly 18 hours to Kathmandu. That's really the problem. From Kathmandu, I think I would be fine. That sounds fair. Totally fair. Um, let's see. Can you tell us about your favorite convention experience? Hmm. And this could be as a panelist or a fan. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, I have done. I have been on no panels. Um, oh, there you go. So, uh, I, I actually, I will say that my favorite convention experience is actually superstars, but managing the appointments for superstars, which is something I do, mm -hmm. is actually. That's my favorite experience. I really enjoy making that process work smoothly. And I enjoy uh, seeing somebody, particularly the pitches. I love talking to people right before they do their pitches and, you know, having them practice their pitches with me and, you know, telling me, hey, you got this. This is good. And then seeing how they did when they come out. And that's very much uh, my, that's my favorite part of going to superstars now is actually that. Um, and I would say, yeah, of all the conventions I've done, everything I've been, that's my favorite thing. That's awesome. And you might notice we changed it so we can see your gorgeous covers because they are Thank gorgeous. Thank you. So Thank you. You can see that when we were talking about the fractured Everest, that's under Everest over there on the left is the first one in that series. It's fantastic. Um, and that's, oh, that's all seven. Yeah. All right. We're good. And that's then actually, that. Oh, Talents and Threads, right? That's a, that's a short story story Yes, that's a story, a short story collection. Yeah, so they're beautiful. So that leads me to my almost last question, and that is, how do you choose these covers? Well, um, it's funny because these covers were the first one of these covers to be produced is actually uh, uh, Beyond the Unseen Key, which is fifth in that line. Okay. Um, and the the first three books originally had different covers from a different cover artist, and, and beautiful, beautiful covers. I will <laughs> have one. So they... Uh, they look like that. So get that on. So those are beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll explain why I ended up with different covers. 
Um, Holly, uh, they did a fantastic job with those covers. But yeah, beautiful. Um, Holly became sick and uh, had to scale back on their work. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to connect with a brilliant, brilliant woman in Poland named Marta Deck. Uh, I first met her because she had done the fifth interdictor cover as a pre-made. And I bought that because it was perfect for the story. That was uh, and so then I contacted her about doing Unseen Key. Mm-hmm. And I basically, she and I have a fantastic back and forth workflow. It's awesome. I, I love working with her. And sometimes I give her a pretty strong idea, like Unseen Key and Brittle Bones of Gods. I, I gave her like a, a, a drawing, a very bad drawing. And said, <laughs> I would like it to look like this, just not awful. Just not like I did it, yeah. <laughs> right. She has to go out and, and find the stock art and things that, that match this profile. Mm-hmm. And so we did those two. And then we did Within the Hollow and we did Thorns of the Serpent. Mm-hmm. And then I realized... Um, you know, these don't line up with the other covers. And I felt one of the reasons that the first three books weren't performing that well is that this, while beautiful, doesn't tell you what the book is about. Right. It says it's about a mountain. And it is. It's about Nemo. Yeah. And so Nemo needed to be on the covers. But that was a big worry for me because Nemo, the only one of the, the covers Marta had done that Nemo's on is Unseen Key. And it's just from the back. From the back, yeah. You need the and, right actress for that one. Right. I mean, it was a real challenge to find stock photos that had, uh, first off, that didn't have super sexy poses because that would be completely inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but nothing wrong with super sexy poses. Just they're, they're, they don't. Does it fit your books? Yeah. No. Work with these books. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Nima has a fairly specific look to her. And I really didn't think Marta was going to be able to find a model that could match that. Um, not just to get an Asian model, but to get uh, an Asian model that wasn't Japanese, that was, you know, closer to uh, uh, Nepal or Sherpa. Mm-hmm. And she did, I, I didn't think she could do it, but she did an amazing job. Yeah. And each one of those covers of the first three books, that's at least three different people. In one of them, it's four. And in the other two, it's three. Um, and then the hair is hair that she has painted. Um, so she just does a phenomenal phenomenal job so she, that's not just a picture she combined it together to get she the right combined that. yes yes wow that's yes incredible. and so yeah like so like that the 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 face is one the the the, the head is parts of the head are another mm-hmm. um the, the body is another uh the body model for under everest is not the body model for seas and dra- dragons that's a different person in two different poses i know on dragons it's one person's body but another person's hands um, to get hands in the right pose. She just does an extraordinary job. That's so incredible. Sometimes it's I give her a drawing, and sometimes it's here are some things that I need on the cover. Mm-hmm. What do you think? And then it's, you know, then you have to, it's such, it's an interesting process, but it can be really um, stressful because you have to get genre, like where's the fantasy, you know, on the cover. And it's, it's really, it's a very, very tricky process, but I, I really enjoy it. Oh, and I love that's one of the best parts about being indie mm-hmm. is the cover looks like I want it to look. Yes. Yes. To have control over that and to be able to change them. You know what I mean? Exactly. So that's just, you know what? These aren't working. I'm changing them. And as long as I'm willing to spend the money, then I get new covers. It's and, just wonderful. And it works. Uh, the, the response to the books has been much, much, much stronger with, with these covers. Yeah. 
I love them. Um, so the last question is, what are you promoting right now? Mm. Well, this. Um, so <laughs> uh, right now uh, I am promoting the uh, Fractured Everest box set, mm -hmm. which just released uh, about a week ago and contains seven of the eight books that are on screen right now. Um, Talents and Threads, however, is on sale for 99 cents by itself. My other standalone, The Fifth Interdictor, is also on sale for 99 cents. Uh, cool. So, yeah, uh, right now I'm promoting the box set. Love it. Love it, love it. Well, Dave, you were awesome. So all these people Thank who you. want to know so much more about you, where can they find you? Well, um, you can uh, look me up on dhdone.com. Uh, and that has all my uh, latest uh, books and, and links to them on there. Uh, you can follow me. Uh, as far as social media goes, um, it's kind of a step down. So I'm on Twitter and I'm reasonably active on Twitter at, at mm -hmm. DHDon. Um, I probably tweet three or four times a day. Um, most of it is, is, you know, just silly stuff. Um, just for fun. Nothing, nothing earth shaking. And, and, you know, just again, kind of like the books themselves, just trying to find a little fun. Yep. Um, uh, I am on Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram at DH Dunn. And there you will see mostly pictures of my dog uh, <laughs> and uh, pictures of me. And now that I figured out how to get screenshots off Xbox, you will see pictures of my video games on there. Sweet. Do you I play am, on Twitch at all? You should stream on Twitch, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've thought about it. Um, I, I am on Facebook, but I have no idea what I'm doing. So I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't suggest anybody go there. Someday, someday. One thing at a time. Yeah. We can't yeah. do them all. You got to choose your favorites and stick with it. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. All right, so everyone go out there. Now that uh, Dave is your new favorite author, get his book. Please leave him a review. Also leave us a review on your favorite podcast site, wherever you listen to this. You can also subscribe on uh, YouTube. We'd appreciate that or follow us on Twitch. So if you have any questions, please let us know. And next week we have Brian Corley on. So I can't wait mm -hmm. to see you next week. And ending music, la, 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 la.